Guys, we just had one of the best Saturdays of the year. Mm-hmm. I can't wait till the next Saturday. That's why the podcast is called Until Saturday. I'm Ari Wasserman, joined by David Ubman and a special guest, Antonio Morales, our USC beat writer, who sat down with Lincoln Riley last week and had a very good Q&A about all things USC and where that program is and headed. And I read it. Antonio, I want to tell you before we get into the show and we become enemies that I thought you did a very good job of asking the questions that needed to be asked in a Mm -hmm. very pointed, mature, and um, efficient way. So good job. We're going to talk more about that at the end of the show. If you haven't read that yet, I uh, encourage you to do so on The Athletic. Uh, One of the welcome everybody officially to the Sunday Sound Off show. Um, We will be hitting on the coaching carousel news We'll answer a question about Michigan's win over Ohio State. We're going to try to explain how rivalries work to Dave. Um, We're going to get to a bunch of callers and what they have to say. We're getting more and more calls every week. It's really, really hard to get to all of them. Don't be discouraged. We will certainly um, see a pattern if we don't choose you and and try our best to to get you onto the show. Um, The support for the show has been incredible, and we, we certainly appreciate the momentum we have. If you want to be a part of the Sunday Sound Off show, in the future, please call 316-462-9852 to leave a voicemail. 316-462-9852 again if you want to do so. You can also text that line, but we'll certainly air towards the voicemails because they're funny, they're entertaining, they're engaging, and of course it allows you guys to feel like a part of the show. Um, be sure to subscribe to The Athletic for $1 a month for 12 months right now during our Black Friday promotion. Visit theathletic.com Saturday. The deal is good through Monday, November 27th, so do it quickly, and if you want to sign up, Antonio's Q&A with Lincoln Riley is a good place to start. Lastly, sign up for the Until Saturday newsletter where you get your daily fill of college football news right to your inbox from our deep and talented roster of college football reporters, um, loads of carousel content by Jana Bardall and our staff. You do not have to be subscribed to The Athletic to get that uh, newsletter, but I think that if you get it, you probably will shortly after. Always, always, always. Thank you so much for the people here who are listening to us live. If you're listening to us here on the show and you want to listen to the podcast, the link can be found in the podcast description and you can sign up and subscribe, share, like, review, all the things that we can do. And if you're listening to this in audio form and you want to watch us live on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, that uh, link is also in your show's description. If you like both of them, it's great. All the new episodes that come out in audio form, there's unique content on the YouTube channel. If you like the show, I su- I encourage you to subscribe to both. Okay, we've got a lot of voicemails to get through. Uh, this was a big day, big Saturday. But first, Antonio, how are we doing today? Doing good. And it was a bye week in the Morales household this week. USC wrapped up their season last week. So. Um, kind of a relaxing weekend just to watch college football and obviously a lot of dramatic games on Saturday, a lot of crazy endings. So uh, it was fun. It was a fun Saturday to have off and just sit at home and watch everything unfold. Is USC going to play in a bowl game or is the whole team opting out? They're going to play in a bowl game. It just uh, depends on if it's in El Paso, Las Vegas, LA, San Diego, just uh, a matter well, of... Uh, let's hope for El Paso. Uh, Dave, how are we need Lincoln doing? in a sombrero. I'm doing good, Ari. Um, I've just been studying on the history of rivalries today, and and if you didn't think I got it before, Ari, I I definitely I definitely get rivalries now. Uh, I've just been reading about it, and and I think that if you just read about rivalries, that's good. You don't need to experience anything like that. So, uh, 
I'm excited to just to talk about what we learned, Ari, and what and what rivalries in college football mean. Just so everybody knows, I'm in a tech strand <laughs> with Ralph Russo and David Ubbin, and they're both coming at me, and I don't even remember what the problem was. But I had to instruct <laughs> David before the show that if he's talking about the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry and discussing anything Ohio State-related to not say they can't beat Michigan, but that's a good start. And then w- once we figure that part out, then maybe we can have a deep and uh, exciting discussion about that. So. You know, we do a little grab ass here at the beginning of our shows usually, but why don't we get right into the voicemails? We have so many. There's a lot to tackle. And if you're here and you want to hear about Mike Elko and Texas A&M and the coaching carousel and the crazy news with Mark Stoops, we have voicemails that will naturally lead us to those discussions. We will be covering all the pertinent news uh, of the weekend. So why don't we go to the first voicemail and get this thing started? Hey, guys. Dave from Chicagoland here. Uh, big Michigan State fan. <clears throat> super psyched for the Jonathan Smith hire. Uh, seems like a really good fit by all accounts in East Lansing. I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are. My biggest concern is just the recruiting in the Midwest. He's never done it before. Um, wondering how that'll go or how you guys think it'll go uh, going forward in East Lansing. But overall, I think it's a great hire. Curious to get your guys' thoughts. Thanks. Bye. Antonio, you cover the Pac-12. You've seen this build up close on the West Coast. Uh, what is your thought of Jonathan Smith and what he was able to do at Oregon State, and how do you think that fits with Michigan State? I think it fits with Michigan State really well because that's the program that when it was at its best in the mid-2010s, it was finding these under-the-radar guys and developing them. And I, I think when I talked to some Pac-12 coaches back in February, they said that Oregon State develops or evaluates better than any other team in the league. Uh, they just constantly get the most out of what people perceive to be the least. And last year they won 10 games. They beat um, Oregon last year and gave USC all they could handle in Washington too. And uh, same this year, they they almost beat Washington and uh, they won eight games. So t- considering what he walked into and there's a really bad situation with Gary Anderson and he, you saw the gradual build year, year in and year out. Um, and then the recruiting started to get a little better towards the end. Aiden Childs, Kelsey Howard were some four-star prospects. Um, that he got, and I don't remember the last time. I don't even think the first few years he signed a a four-star prospect. So it got a little better um, towards the end. I just think it's kind of fits what Michigan State thrives with, Um, guys who kind of um, develop and evaluate well and make the most out of what they have. Well, just for some context, uh, Childs is the sixth highest rated player that Oregon State has ever landed in in high school recruiting anyway. Steven Jackson, Derek Anderson, and some of the names that are more synonymous with Oregon State were ranked a little bit higher. But um, the thing that I wanted to ask you, Dave, and it's a very curious thought process because I feel like you have to like the job because anybody who has proven that they can build a team going to a place that needs to be constructed, I always kind of err on the side of, yeah, I like that. The one thing that I don't know about and is strange to me is this conflict I'm having internally about it and help me through it. Okay. Michigan State was at its best um, during the last seven years in, in the in the height of the Mark D'Antonio era when they were doing a better job of evaluating or out-evaluating other Big Ten teams. Mm-hmm. And they did it so well even that they were able to beat Ohio State in 2015 and what was probably the most talented team I'll ever cover. Um, and they did so because they had a lot of guys from Ohio and they – developed them and they put themselves in a position to be a very, very good football team. Then they hired Mel Tucker and his whole plan was to elevate Michigan state status 
in the entire sport by hosting and attacking more elite level recruits and and recruiting five Mm -hmm. stars. He had a lot of five stars coming onto campus was not closing them, but he, he had them coming, which is a step in the right direction. So my thought process is here is one, Jonathan Smith has done a very good job of building Oregon state on the West coast, but you're looking at a recruiting class in 2024 that ranks currently 64th nationally as we get into the month of December and his 2023 class, even with Childs, ranked number 49 in the composite. And I'm wondering to myself, is that, like, where does Michigan State have to be? Like, does Jonathan Smith put you right in the middle there of out-evaluate people, do a very good job, and compete for a Big Ten championship once every four or five years? Or are you concerned about the lack of recruiting results? And and frankly speaking, Oregon State is what it is. I don't know that anybody's going to go out there and, and put up 20 top 25 classes. It's not to say that he can't do it. I'm very curious what his recruiting outlook and strategy is going to be at Michigan State. Yeah, I'm not really concerned about that. I, I think ultimately, like you said, if you're Oregon State and you're trying to recruit, I mean, where are you in the pecking order in the Pac-12? Like, I think you're in the top low bottom five in the pecking order in power yes. by football. Like, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, that's for sure. You don't have a ton of natural base. It's you can't just like pop down to California. You don't have Oregon's money or brand strength. You, you you've got a lot of things working against you. Now you also have a lot of things working against you at Michigan State, but you're still you know in in better in a better spot. And I think that when it comes to <clears throat> the the sort of key question from the listener of you know, what happens when you go from a place that you know very well? And quick aside, this is a very depressing move because, like, Oregon State is being left behind on the island of misfit toys, and Jonathan Smith is one of their favorite sons. And we don't see a lot of coaches coaching at their alma mater leaving. And that sucks, and that's a product of realignment, and if the Pac-12 still existed, he never – I don't even think he takes Michigan State's call, quite frankly. But this is where we're at in the sport. So that's unfortunate, but that's where we are. And I don't think anybody blames him, but that's where it is. Anyway, as far as trying to recruit in an area that you're not familiar with, it's not that hard. You have to be genuine. You have to be who you are. You have to have a plan, and you have to be diligent. You got to be everywhere. You got to say, okay, here's where we're living. Our staff – we're going to divvy up Ohio in these specific regions. We're going to go heavy in Michigan in these specific regions. These guys are going to get to know here, and I'm going to be around. I'm going to get to meet all these coaches. I'm going to call them when they don't have players. When they do have players, they might see me a little bit more. You have to have a plan. You have to be organized. You have to be diligent, and you have to do what you say and say what you mean. And if you do all those things and you have some success on the field, you will see that success translate, even if you don't have ties to the area. It takes time to build relationships. Recruiting is all about relationships. But we've seen this a million times before, right? You know, we've seen coaches. I mean, Urban is probably the best example of never been in the SEC, and he comes down there. I think Matt Rule, uh, a lot of people had a lot of questions about him when he went from Temple to Baylor. And he might be one of the most beloved college coaches in the state of Texas now, and he was there like four years. James Franklin coming to the state of Tennessee and High school coaches in Tennessee still talk about him at Vanderbilt. They're like, I love that guy. And I think that's what you got to do. So uh, I'm not that concerned about it. Which is crazy because we did a coaching confidential in Pennsylvania, and there was a lot of people who didn't really like that guy. (laughs) This is true. This is true. Well, I think at some point, maybe you wear out your welcome in some ways. But 
my point is not so much it's about James Franklin, but it's more about that if you go somewhere and you show up in coaches' offices and they know you and you treat their kids well, you can do well in recruiting. And there's a lot of pitfalls in doing that. But if you are just who you are, you don't try to be something that you're not. Say what you're do what you're gonna or say what you're gonna say, do what you're gonna do, be that person and be around no names, although some of their names might rhyme with uh high end barson. You gotta be there. And if you are, you're gonna be okay. I think that that was a really nice little speech that you would do at like a coach's seminar. My my question that I'm actually curious about though, not to be disrespectful, <laughs> it sounded way worse than I meant it to sound. <laughs> Is what's Ari's what's coming in hot? No, no, I didn't close? mean to, it. Is sounded way worse than I, I wasn't coming uh, at you like that on purpose. I know it sounded like I was, but what is the question? Is the can he strategy? close? No, what's the strategy? Do you go after those kids that Tucker was going after? Do you try to be a um, evaluation king in a time in which you have USC, Washington, Oregon, and UCLA you coming both. to your conference, like you can't listen. You can't chase every five star in California and Georgia and uh, you know Pennsylvania. You can Arizona. You can't do, do you all guys that. Remember how much crap I took on this podcast saying that Mel Tucker couldn't do that two years ago, and now we're on the show and it's all come back full circle to the point where it's like you can't. Do I was that not involved State. in those discussions. Yeah, I was. Let the I record, either, I, I let the record show. I was not okay, involved. Thank in those you. Discussions. Yeah, I, I just like people. You were, can't do that. When, I think you, that was one of the top do. five most angry people were at me in show history. And I'm not saying that well, I think it was history. impossible. It seemed like he was making, you know, yeah, I was you like, uh, yeah, you have a know. finite resource in, in recruiting and that is time. And if you, this is why coaches hate losing recruiting battles because you invest a ton of time in a guy. And if you get yeah. down to the finish line and you can't close, you could have invested that time somewhere else in somebody that you got. Okay. So you can't be running around and, and shooting your shot all over the place. But if there's five stars in Ohio or somebody that you have that has a tie to your school, absolutely you got to do that. You got to do that. And then you also have to find the guys that, you know, maybe you're getting sniffed around from the Mac, trust your evaluation and say, hey, this kid can do something for us. And do Antonio, that. we also have to acknowledge that <clears throat> he did a pretty good job in the portal there. We also have to acknowledge mm-hmm. that Michigan State's probably a pretty attractive portal destination where you're a, a team that's at least recognizable um, to a lot of players going through the recruiting process and you know has made the college football playoff and is in a very competitive and attractive conference, uh, he could probably do some damage that way, I would assume. Yeah, Mel Tucker, that's how he had success in 2021. Um, Jonathan Smith did a good job with it, landing DJ, DJU uh, last year to Oregon State. So we've seen him have good a good run with it. And like I said, he evaluates well and does well with culture and fit. So I think he's in the fit in well there. And um, I'm curious to see, like you said, how the recruiting plan sorts itself out. But I trust him. It's And it's, I think he probably believes the recruiting ceiling is higher, which is why he left. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious to see how it all unfolds. Okay, so we have some other coaches on the move here. And I don't know how much time we have, but... Texas A&M, and some coaches it says not here in the graphic that Texas A&M is targeting Mike Elko as the next head coach. I believe that that is happening now. Uh, last well, night. We don't, have a, we don't have a, we don't have the graphic, but it's, it's, or the, it's, uh, it, we don't know, have the, the official the Texas A&M announcement tweet, but it's, it's happening, but it does seem like it's happening. And he is a former assistant uh, at A&M who was around and helped A&M 
put together one of the greatest recruiting classes in the history of recruiting. And then he went to another place that probably has, you know, top or bottom 10 resources or, you know, most challenges in recruiting and turned them around very quickly. I thought that this was the exact type of hire that A&M needed to make and should make. And, um, you know, it wasn't flash. It wasn't flair. It wasn't crazy. It wasn't a bunch of money uh, being thrown around and trying to, you know, win the day. It just seems like a functional, appropriate, and may I say, um, non-insane hire for a coaching search that went off the walls in past midnight on Saturday night with Mark mm-hmm. Stoops is coming, then he's going, and there was a three. He was the head coach for three hours, and then it didn't happen. I think that it might have worked out that A and M just did what they they did the right thing, even if it wasn't flashy. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately you have somebody who obviously you have the recruiting piece at Duke. You had a pretty salty defense, a really dynamic offense. If you're looking for negatives from this hire, you know, it's pretty much just experience. But you got to like what he's done at Duke, winning at levels that, like you said, Ari, is really hard to do. Now, I think the challenge of turning Duke into a consistent winner and trying to build A&M up to a 10-win, 11-win, 12-win, 13-14-win team, maybe, is a different kind of challenge. And that poses some questions. But when I look at Mike Elko taking over at A&M, we've talked about this, Ari. We both agree it's a top-five job in the sport. If you're looking for reasons to believe that he can't win big at A&M, I think you're going to be looking for a while. It's not the sexiest hire you're ever going to see. But you have somebody that wants to be at A&M, that understands A&M. That's, you know, like Dabo's the best the best example. A&M's a weird place, sorry. It just is. Like, I think that they embrace their weird. It's a, it's a very unique, and I use that term very liberally, place. Um, and I think some people, when they don't, when they don't, when they aren't familiar with it, it can be a little off-putting. Okay, A&M is what A&M is. Elko knows that stuff. He's familiar with it. Uh, he's not going to be confused if somebody says good bull at him. Uh, so that's good. Bull. Ultimate. <laughs> thank you. And ultimately, I think that that really does matter. Um, so it's a good hire. It's not going to get anybody excited or, you know, uh, be talking about, oh, A&M's going to win a national championship next year. But he's a competent coach that understands how to win in, you know, in the new era of college football. And you have the backing of a lot of money in, for everything that you could possibly need there. So, does it concern you? Well, let me let me. Uh, I'm gonna Antonio and I like to argue with each other a lot, but let's so let's do it. He rolled his eyes at us at the beginning of the show before we started recording at the notion <laughs> that A and M is not a top five job in America. And I'd love to know. No, I asked if the shenanigans that went on last night is a strike against your argument that this is a top five job. Do you feel like a fan revolt having any impact on the people in power's decision is unhealthy? <laughs> I do. I do think it's unhealthy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, do you guys think there's a major difference between like Mark Stoops and Mike Elko? I don't. I, think, I don't. I think Mark Stoops is a lot more proven. I think that some of the revolt around that was a little disrespectful for Mark Stoops, who I think you can make a really compelling case as the third best coach in the SEC. But I think like the results, I don't think would be markedly different. 
I think it's a different kind of challenge. I think sustaining wins at Kentucky and building a decent program into a champion are two very, very different tasks. I think they both would be capable of doing it. Um, I don't have that big of a problem. I get why people are frustrated with Mark Stoops. I think the idea was like, well, he's never won big, big. And I think people don't understand how hard that is to do at Kentucky. And so, like, I get, like, I, I think I think casual fans, especially AM fans, don't, don't clearly they don't understand how it would have been coach Mark really Stoops fun is. to see Mark Stoops with players. It is. It's like, Mark a, it's like a Bill Snyder been, question. Yeah. Um, and I also thought that that was a reasonable hire that makes a lot of sense from both aspects of it. So mm-hmm. I don't really think like they went from Mark Stoops to, you know, Drake. Like, you know, I think they wanted to get like the the epitome of the sport and prove that A&M is a top five job in America. And it's like the one thing that I think that you could probably say for Elko is, is that he's had a front row seat on how to assemble one of the greatest classes in the history yeah. of the sport at the place he's going to, which I think puts you in a position to maybe be more equipped to understand the expectation and what it takes to actually do that, which, you know, yeah. is probably a pretty big deal. That said, uh, I don't know if what, like you said, building up Duke in a short amount of time or building up Kentucky is the same job as trying to win a national championship. And, and we, beat and we had a comment that said Stoops is older and his ceiling is known. No, 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 no. Stoops is older and Kentucky's ceiling is known. I don't right. think we know what Mark Stoops' ceiling is. And I think we would have found out at AM. Also, I don't, I get it is what it is. Like, I think he'll be happy at Kentucky. It's a great job. He'll be fine. Um, I just found the revolts a little, a little disrespectful. Also, yeah, too, frankly. let's like also acknowledge the fact that Mark Stoops has one of the best jobs in America, too, from like a yes. coaching standpoint. Like he is yes. getting paid quite a bit of money and has a huge buyout and um, is that really is only expected to win seven or six games a year to keep his job. And if he wins nine, he's the Bear Bryant of that place. So like that is that above, that's or, very, is that above or below A&M in the top five? No, uh, I said top ten in terms of uh coach experience. Um, I think A&M's a top five job in totality based on what they can pay you, what the last buyout was, where it's located on the map, the resources you have in NIL, the um, desperation of administration and fans to actually win. Um, I think you can go there and do things that you cannot do at most other places. Everything that you need to win a national championship is at place or in place at A&M. And I don't know that that is the case for more than 12 jobs total. And then once you go from that, then you whittle it down from those 12 jobs. And uh, at A&M, if you get fired, your grandchildren's grandchildren can drive a Rolls Royce to public sc- or to private school in 2137. And it'll be fine because you have so much money. So I think uh, the, I think the best way we, we've mentioned on the show before, but Antonio, the best way to describe it is if A&M in the next five years became the next Georgia, won back to back national championships and did all this stuff. Nobody would be looking around going, how are they doing this? People would be saying, yeah, about time. You have incredible facilities. Or they finally got somebody who can do it. Um, I told the story on Twitter (laughs) because somebody asked me, he goes, if you think it's a top five job, would you invest into that stock with your own money right now? And I said, uh, I had a story. And I don't know if this is too inside baseball of my life, but when my, my neighbor and closest friend when I was a kid his father owned a computer store called Apple or Computer Town. And this store sold Macs before the creation of the iPod. 
And this store went belly up because Mac wasn't cool yet. Do you guys remember what Apple was like before Apple was cool? A little then bit. Then six I months remember, after the yeah. six months after the store closed, I believe Apple came out with the iPod and then it became what it is today. That was the thing that made it trendy. It got people into the stores. It got people buying iMacs and MacBook Pros. And now Apple, I think, is one of the best, if not the best company in the entire world. And it's like, I felt really bad, even as a kid, knowing what happened there. But also now thinking about A&M as Apple, I feel like A&M is pre-iPod Apple. And if they get Steve Jobs, who knows how to work the the place, then they could be Apple one day. And that doesn't mean that they'll get Steve Jobs or that that even exists. It's really hard to find Steve Jobs. But if you find Steve Jobs, yeah. you have a corporation that has the ability and the wherewithal to take over the world. So I would not invest in Apple in 1999. I wouldn't invest in Apple in 2001. Um, people who did are very, very rich and will never have to work again. But I certainly would have <coughs> invested and have invested a large portion of my paychecks every month into Apple. Now it changes. It's not the same thing. So I don't know uh, what, if that makes sense or not, but why don't we, uh, does that make sense? Am I nuts? Antonio, you're like smirking at me. I never know if you're like, this guy's an idiot or if you're on, if, if I, if I changed your mind at all. No, you haven't. I'll, I'll just look at hundred years of data and then I'll so let that support myself. All right. I'm going to lose right. my mind because it's not. Okay. <laughs> if you don't get it by now, then you're, there's no hope for you. Uh, and all I'm right, talking just you. Did you know that, you know that Steve everybody. Sarkeesian's, did you know Steve Sarkeesian's never won 10 games? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. It's the same thing. And it's the it's, same it's bull crap that I got from Antonio thing. before yeah. the year started. <laughs> Are you going to? Yeah. Antonio's Ari doesn't know anything. Texas has never won anything. Steve Sarkeesian's never done anything. I here, was wrong. You got the floor here, pal. I was wrong. You were right. You called it. It's, it's funny, though, because hey, and, uh, Texas is still probably not going to make the playoff. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Let's just hit on Jeff Levy to Mississippi State. I know this is kind of strange. You know a lot about Oklahoma, Dave. Mm-hmm. Didn't people like want to fire him two weeks ago? Like, yeah, they did. <laughs> okay, all right. I, they I, did. It's something. almost like all right. It's almost like sometimes the masses, the fan bases of some programs, see the world differently, perhaps more jadedly, perhaps more reactionary than people who make decisions. I know that's crazy, Ari. I suspect we might revisit this conversation uh, when we talk about the rivalry, but you know. Jeff Levy has a pretty long history of pretty good offense. Uh, I think there's a fair question for why Kendall Bryles and Jeff Levy have gotten a lot of jobs and Art Bryles mm-hmm. is still a pariah in the sport. That question is for people who have hired them. Uh, I, uh, a long time ago, well, not that long ago, it was probably 2016, I had Major Applewhite uh, on my podcast when he hired Kendall the first time after uh, the Baylor stuff and pressed him pretty hard on like, you know, why are you doing this? Why do you feel like this is something that you want to do? What did the vetting process look like? And in short, he was kind of like, you know, when people say things happen, you look into it. Sometimes they don't necessarily reality. If what you find out is not necessarily, um, you know, what the real situation is. Listen, I'm not involved in these vetting conversations. Um, but I do think that's an interesting question to ask. And there's a lot of places that don't really care about that or want to shrug it off. 
And in the vetting process, a lot of times, you know, the victims of these these situations at Baylor are, are never quite asked about their experiences. And it is what it is. So Antonio, do you have any thoughts on this one? Being somebody who used to live in Mississippi and cover these teams? Yeah, it's I'm curious to see how the dynamic between him and Lane Kiffin is because now they're you know, he was on Lane Kiffin's staff just two years ago. Mm-hmm. He was the play caller and Lane kind of threw him under the bus on the way out for the play calling and that Sugar Bowl loss to Baylor. Um, so what didn't it seem like it ended on the mo- on like the greatest of terms uh, over there? And I was there when it was Leach, when it was Mullen and and Freeze, and they took the rivalry to like you know lows in terms of um, how toxic it was. Um, they had like boosters at Ole Miss suing players at Mississippi State, and it's pretty wild. And uh, Dan Mullen created this whole instant blame investigation type stuff. Um, so I wonder if it'll still be as like sanctimonious as it has been in the past couple of years with Lebby and Kiffin. Um, and I'm interested to see how it kind of, how he does on the recruiting trail, being an offensive guy um, at a school that's like built on Devin Lyman and like, that's what they're like thriving. So I want to see if you can still keep getting those guys um, over there in Starkville. It is interesting that he is the first coach from the Bryles staff that was all fired essentially at Baylor to get a head coaching job. Um, And I think like, you know, we have a commenter that said, I think some people just don't care about the things that happened in Baylor. I think that's true. I think there's a lot of people that just don't care. So like, you know, it is what it is. Like you can, you can like these people, like these guys have been in the sport for a long time and a lot of them have been hired to other jobs and you know, you can say what you want, but like, I'm not in charge of hiring these guys. So, you know, I, I cannot like it, but that is what it is. Um, Dana Holgerson is out at Houston. Uh, who else? Am I forgetting anyone? Uh, well, I mean, there's, there's some smaller jobs for sure. <clears throat> um, well, the good news is guys, is that we are going to have, yeah, Tom Allen is out at Indiana. Um, pretty big buyout for that job. It's kind of funny to think about, but we're going to, uh, have a bunch of coaching carousel coverage this week. Uh, our tech expert, Sam Khan, and one of the best national college football reporters in the country, Max Olson, uh, on Tuesday's pod are really going to get deep into these discussions. It was nice to have a preliminary, preliminary discussion about it. We'll get much deeper on the Until Saturday feed this week. Why don't we go to the next voicemail and see if we can teach Dave a thing or two about how college football works. Andy from Detroit. Uh, my voice is a little hoarse for being in the big house last night, yesterday. Um, I just <laughs> I want to say that that was maybe the most important win I've ever seen in my life. Um, if you add all the stakes, all the crap surrounding the last six weeks, uh, the uh, the change in the landscape of college football at large, um, and the stain it would put on our last three years, you have to say that this is one of the biggest wins that you've seen any program make uh, in our lifetimes. I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Right. When you think about the direction that Michigan's program could have been headed with a loss, like the 40 yards that separated the the, the, the thin line between winning and losing and what that would have meant for the program, uh, what it would have meant for Jim Harbaugh, what it would have meant for the uh, Spygate narrative, I, I think that you can make the case that this was the biggest regular season win Um of the last decade. 
I, I felt like I was watching <clears throat> five, five storylines all unfolding in front of our eyes all at once. Now I am very interested to see how Michigan's scandal is going to be viewed by the general public now that they won a game after this all came out without it against a pretty good Ohio state team. Um, and that is going to be an interesting thing to see unfold, but I certainly think a program win that that probably takes the cake for me. I don't know if I'm forgetting one. I was thinking about this. The big, the blue bloods, there's their, their legacy and their perception is so cemented that it's hard to have one game really affect that. But Michigan, because of this sort of unprecedented science stealing advantage, was in that weird spot where they they were. This the whole Harbaugh era, the the rise post twenty twenty season was under question. And so I agree with you. I think regular season, you're right. In terms of biggest wins like that shaped more than just that team or that shaped season. program shaped conferences shaped. Other, I think for yeah. me, I think for me, the two that came to mind were Boise over Oklahoma in the Fiesta bowl mm-hmm. and TCU over Wisconsin in the Rose bowl. I think those are the two that jumped out to me. TCU probably doesn't get in the big 12 without that win. That changed yeah. how people viewed them and Boise. Even now they haven't really been what they were under Chris Peterson. Um, and, uh, and, and certainly in other times as well, but their brand still resonates. And it all started with that festival went over Adrian Peterson. Antonio, does any step, I mean, USC have any big wins in the last 10 years that I can remember? I think no? Oregon, okay. Yeah. Any, what about else? What about no. other teams? Oregon. I think, um, though they won the Fiesta bowl, like in Oh one, like they kicked the crap out of like Pete Carroll's USC team. His last one in Oh nine. Uh, that was Chip Kelly's first year as a head coach. And I think that kind of showed everybody kind of what was coming, where the power was going to transition from USC to Oregon and they went to the Rose Bowl. They won the conference that year. And I think they won the conference like three straight years and played the national title game the next year. Um, so that's one on the West coast that that stands out a bit. Yeah. I, man, I, the three wins a row in the rivalry. Undefeated, number one versus number two, Ohio State. Jim Harbaugh's not on the sideline. The Spygate scandal. A berth in the Big Ten championship game. College football playoff berth alive. Making the college football playoff during a time in which it's probably the fastest and maybe less. I mean, Georgia still exists, but the if they're going to win a national championship, this is a year you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you add up all of that, not to mention that it delegitimizes um certain aspects of the Spygate scandal in terms of whether or not you look your nose down at what they built there as just a result of cheating alone. Absolutely. I, I think that all these things added up in, in the mm-hmm. accumulation of that, of all those talking points, I think undeniably makes this the biggest regular season win I can remember in my adulthood. I don't know um, if I'm forgetting anything, but. No, I think the one, the only one in recent history that jumped out to me was Cincinnati over Notre Dame, um, because we just haven't had we haven't had a program that won as many games as Michigan had that had to answer for its perception. That's not a thing that has to happen yeah. when you have a Power Five team that wins, you know, whatever thirty games is whatever they have in the last three years. People just sort of accept that as like, oh, this is they're on a really nice run. Nobody is like, oh, but like. 
it's fraudulent for whatever. Three years is a long time to be playing winning football. But because of all that stuff, I, I think that you, you're they're in such a weird spot that like that's why pretty much only the smaller teams jumped out to me because a lot of people do question how good those teams really are. And the big schools don't really ever have to have that. But when you have this cheating scandal that colors a full two and a half seasons, you have to sort of, you know, I've, well, I still me, like my comparison about the like, Mike sneakers. Mm-hmm. Phrase it this way. Ohio State beats Michigan on Saturday in the big house 30, 33 to 17 or 33 mm-hmm. to 10. And it's mm-hmm. one of those games where Ohio State controlled the game from start to finish. Could you imagine what yeah. we'd be talking about right now? I mean, think about it from the reverse. Like, could you imagine that? Now, the thing that I'm most interested in is, and we're going to get to an Ohio State question, I think, later on in the show, but Ohio State is kind of in a position right now where it has some soul-searching to do, again, right? Uh, I have a column running on The Athletic on Monday about Ryan Day, the way he called the game, and why he could have a Michigan problem or does have a Michigan problem. But by and large, you can expect that Ohio State's probably going to win 10 or 11 games again next year, right? Like with the team that they have and how they recruit and yes. who they're playing, you know, I know that the new Pac-12 teams are going to be in there next year, so maybe it's going to be harder to get to 11. But there are a lot of question marks for Michigan moving forward. Like, is Harbaugh going to be your coach next year? Uh, is the NCAA <laughs> going to get involved and do anything? Like all that <clears throat> stuff still exists. And we didn't talk about it this weekend because it didn't matter at the time, but like you better savor it now too, because you don't know what's coming down the pike, you know, and maybe Sharon Moore will just get know. hired. And th- what, what do you know. mean? <laughs> I well, mean, I'm Michigan's going like, to take a step back. It if Michigan is. is Michigan going to take another seven to 10 years step back because they Not lose their to 10 years, brilliant but at least year a year or two. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, State, they're losing well, a very large crux of their team this year. We don't know who their coach is going to be next year. They haven't recruited in a way that makes it feel like uh, they are, untouchable and the thing that they've done really well is a transfer portal. Who's going to want to transfer into a place that's in trouble. Like that is like, go get it this year because it might be a tough few years coming down the pike. Um, but in terms of what it means for this three year sliver, I think I was listening to a podcast and they said that there was only three or four instances of Ohio state losing three in a row in the entire history of the rivalry. Like this is going to be a golden era of Michigan football and it's going to be something that people talk about when they're 30 or 30 or 40 years down the road when they're talking about their earlier memories of this. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what happens in terms of sustainability. I didn't know the sustainability of the program before um, all this happened. And now with all this happening, like I don't think that Harbaugh is going to be the coach next year. Mm-hmm. So we'll see We'll see how it goes. But certainly in terms of, of big regular season wins, I can't even come close to, to um, catching up to one that amounts yeah. to this. Yeah. Okay, cool. Next. Sorry, Dave. This is Sad Husker Nate from New Mexico. I don't want to talk about the Huskers. They don't deserve it. What I'm here to talk about, Ari, is that you say that there's Group A and Group B, and Group A is Ohio State, and I just watched them lose to my best buddy's favorite team, those blue-collar, scrappy, hardcore Wolverines. And I just watched Alabama. I don't know what that was, and they are not a playoff team. Like, you guys can dance around it, but they are not a playoff team. And when you have that much talent, isn't that just a waste of talent? And uh, that's all I really have to say is, like, I, Ari, you're right. Stars matter. But aren't Alabama and Ohio State wasting 
more talent than teams like Iowa, who just beat my, I'm not even going to mention them. Like, isn't that more of an injustice to the sport to waste such good talent? I think it's a really interesting point. The response that I would have to that is only one team can win a national title um, any given year. And I think that Alabama has warped our minds into thinking that it's easier than it is. And now Georgia's doing it. Well, maybe. And so I, let's, it's just, let's, how do you waste talent when you win eleven games or ten games? You know, like well, let's that's, talk about let's talk about specifically Ohio State and Alabama because that's what he okay. brought up. Also, I don't think I, just it, I don't say, think it's that complicated. What Alabama? If everybody is giving us crap, I don't know if you've noticed this about like them being in Group A and how we're overrating them and talking too much about them. Guess what? They're wrong. They can we're going to find out like. Yeah. In five days, like if, if they get their ass kicked by Georgia, then yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. he's going. We know if you think that Alabama is a fraud and they stink, then you have nothing to worry about their 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 days coming. OK, yeah. go ahead. Alabama is still in a lot of ways who we thought that they were at the start of the season. They still struggle to protect. They still don't have any hugely dynamic weapons. But Milrow has grown into an impact player. Uh, if we were playing him on NCAA 14, he'd have that little star blinking underneath him as you as he was carrying the ball. I have no doubt about that. And he was not that necessarily to start the season. He has grown into that. He is playing fantastic football. That has helped hide some of the issues, and they're still really, really good on defense, and they're still really talented. Ohio State is different in some ways because Ohio State, their defense has played really well. They have weapons, but if you're limited at quarterback – your ceiling is pretty low, and Kyle McCord is a five-star guy that you'd like to grow. And just like Jalen Milrow, he's a first-year starter too. McCord has not shown a ton of growth, and Milrow has, and he helps cover up some of those issues. If you switched those quarterbacks, Ohio State would be like an unbeatable team right now. <laughs> they would be untouchable if they had Jalen Milrow at quarterback, but they don't. And what people and have so to you, realize, you've too, still got to cover this up. These are the bad seasons for these teams. Like these are yeah, not like true. the good seasons yeah. for them. Yeah. So yeah. yes, but like I, you want to talk about wasted talent? Got the perfect think, guy here. I think we just talked <laughs> about. Uh, I think we just talked yeah. about Texas A and M. When I think about wasted talent, I think of like USC, Texas before this year, Texas A and M. I don't think of teams that went like 11, 10 games a year. I think yeah. it is a damn shame that Caleb Williams' team lost five games this year. Yeah, I, I think. I think if USC would have just like went went ten and two and like won the Pac twelve, I think that would have been kind of a disappointment for their fans because like it wouldn't have been like a playoff trip. Mm-hmm. But like they're not even doing that. Like they're seven and five, Las Vegas Bowl with Caleb Williams. Yeah, and also too, when you think about wasted talent, the players that are going through these programs during these down years are also going to uh, go to the NFL and make a lot of money and you know, went to those places that competed at a high level. And it's like, even if Alabama lost or loses to Georgia, I mean, they just made it the SEC championship game on what we perceive to be a down year. And they might win a national championship in what is legitimately a down year. You want to talk about stars mattering? Flawed teams like Alabama still have a chance to win a national championship going into championship weekend. When they came into the year, not knowing who their quarterback was and can't block anybody like that. Or, or couldn't at the beginning or pass pro and don't have a dynamic back. And also too, if you, if you and I don't want to drag us into the pits of hell of a playoff discussion here, but next year when it's 12, this, this question will not exist anymore because all these teams, even in the bad ones will be making the playoff and will go on runs that are going to disappoint people. 
It's like if Ohio State made the college football playoff as the eighth seed this year and got matched up with a team, uh, who would they be matched up with? Like a Penn State-ish type team, potentially, in the first round? You don't think it's possible for teams that are disappointing and want to blast themselves into the sun could go win three or four games and win a national championship on their down years? Like That is going to happen before Cinderella wins a championship. So that, to me, is kind of like the whole thing for next year, too. It's like you're not helping out any of the small teams. UCF might get a seat at the table and it makes Dave's Dave's heart nice and warm. But all we're doing is giving all the two loss Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia teams when they happen a free pass to go try to win a championship, even when they when they didn't do enough. And, and those teams, like 2015 Ohio State's the perfect example. They would have won the national title if they made the playoff that year. I firmly believe that, but they didn't make it because they lost. And losses mattered back then. They don't matter anymore. Did you cry on Saturday once the games ended? Like this is the last Saturday that ever matters in college football? Well, I I am very torn, in, and I talked about this on Sunday. I thought that Saturday's day was the epitome of what college football is in a four-team field. And I will miss that. I'm going to miss the impending debates that we're going to have on the show. Can you imagine when we get to the end of the season and it's Saturday night and we're on the show talking about one loss Texas and one loss Oregon as the four seed going into the final, final like how fun that's going to be. And then I get to the other half of me, which is like, that sucks. Seeding so, matters, Ari. Hosting um, a game matters. Yeah, it will be I'm, a factor. I'm never going to be on that with you. It's in win or in. Win or out. In or out is the only thing that matters. Right, and I'm not saying that seeding doesn't matter. But <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I'm. are you going to sit on the edge of your couch the way you were on the final drive of that Ohio State-Michigan game to figure out whether or not Tulane's a freaking 11 seed? Get out of here. It's not I, It's not a thing. It's not I was happen. told, Ari, that rivalry okay. games matter more than anything, so it should. Yeah. Is that a good segue? All the, without all the other uh, nonsense outside the lines, the game the should just matter. The general fan doesn't care about Tulane's rivalry the same way that Tulane fans do. The general fan was watching the Ohio State-Michigan game because of how compelling it was because the loser was going to be out. And it's an undisputable fact. It's not, and if you're going to act like it's going to get the blood pumping the way that an in or out loser dies mentality to see whether or not Tulane gets to play Bama or Georgia in the first round at home or whatever. I don't, I don't know. Whatever happens, it's just not going to match that. That said, if Texas or Oregon get left out of this playoff field as a one loss conference champion, that is disgusting and i have no choice but to embrace a 12 team field next year so <laughs> I, I hope that doesn't happen Ari uh, walking contradiction wasserman I no know. i'm saying I'm, I'm torn can i be torn i know They're, on torn the left walking. side it's like it's like that train meme where you're like looking out onto the you know <laughs> one side's a brick wall and one side's a beautiful valley let's go to the next voicemail i'm ready to light you up no hey this is john school scanner in hoist spain I just listened to your week 13 pick show, and 29 minutes and 5 seconds into that, Dave said that, and I'm quoting, that he's tired of angry Ohio State fans contacting him telling him that he doesn't get how important the Ohio State Michigan game is. And then he said, I'm quoting, I get it, I get it. And then he followed it up immediately by saying, Ohio State fans are focusing too much on the Michigan game, and not enough on the fact that they came a field goal away from winning the national championship. And you don't fuck. Get it. We were, I would rather beat Michigan every year with a stick and go eight and four than win the national championship. And when we did win the national championship in 2014, 2002, I celebrated my ass off. I did. But you know what I celebrated more? JT Barrett picking up fourth and one and double overtime and Curtis Samuel scoring a touchdown on the next play to beat 
Michigan. I put my fist through the dining room table, literally. Put my fist through the table. And I cut off the corner of that table with my fist hole, and I hung it on my wall in my office to remember that game. That's what you're not getting, Dave. (laughs) In most stadiums around the country, indoor facilities, wherever they do it, do they hang banners for wins over rivals? I'm just asking. Do most... does Indoor Ohio facilities State, in the country give you solid gold jewelry for doing it? Uh, do most stadiums have signage commemorating all the years that they beat their chief I mean, rival? Ohio State's building has multiple areas where the Michigan game is immortalized. Yes. Okay. Have you like okay. if you walk through Ohio State's football facility, they've got every year hanging up that they beat Michigan. They've got videos on replay of the biggest plays in the rivalry. They have their their biggest accomplishments in that game, and recruits walk by it. Yes, they do. Is it hung up in the stadium, though, Ari? Oh, I don't know if it's hung up in the stadium. The only thing that's hung up in the stadium is it less or more prominent than national championships? No, see, what I was going to say, though, Dave, is I did a poll about this because I thought that that was bull. Like five years ago when I was on the beat, people were saying they cared about beating Michigan more than winning a national championship. I think it was in, like, 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, No, no. It was heading into one Michigan game where Ohio State would still get in the playoff, I think, if they lost. Um, and I asked, would you rather lose to Michigan and make the playoff and win the national championship or beat Michigan, make the playoff and lose in the and like fifty percent of people said beat Michigan. So like I, I know that this you don't so think that's stupid. true. It's such a brainworm mentality. I don't think that you can fathom how much losing yesterday is going to eat at the people that root for Ohio state. Like that is, I bet you if, that feels that worse for them than winning believe, the national championship felt good. All right. If that many people truly believe that they would rather go eight and four and beat Michigan, than lose to Michigan and win a national championship. That's so insane. Like that's you're just never going to understand that's, it. That's just so ridiculous. I can't even wrap my head around. If you like, ask an Ohio state fan right now, right now, would you have rather have gone eight and four this year and beat Michigan or lost to Michigan and make the playoff and win the national championship without getting a rematch with the way that they feel right now and how much that game mattered? And like, also, we just got done talking about how that was the biggest win I can fathom in the history of my lifetime. You think that Ohio State fans would want to take that away from them? Like, I, I All right, don't. This is like this is like having a really nice house on the block and you live right next to this other house that's not quite as good, still kind of sucks, but it's like okay, but like their pool's slightly bigger. So like you that that's that's the idea of like, well, we lost to them, but we won our national championship, everything's going great, but like they have this one thing on us. Like that's so insane. That's that's ridiculous. That's a terrible always, analogy. I always thought it was it's weird. It's not a terrible like, analogy. I always thought it was weird how like Ohio State was like the better program, but it seemed like more obsessed with Michigan than like Michigan seem with Ohio state. I, I actually like, I haven't spent a lot of time around the iron bowl. It's um, not like that in Alabama. If I don't they know what it's like. Them, Ohio it's state like fans Texas, are Texas obsessed A&M, with Texas, the Michigan Oklahoma. Game. It's not like that. There's a documentary on HBO that kind of explains if you haven't seen it, I it's from 15 years ago. Now um, the Michigan game is bigger. That's why I think it's the best rivalry in sports because the obsession of the people that uh, I interacted with while on the beat was so hyper fun. Even when it wasn't fun and Ohio state was winning by a hundred every year, like they still were like, I'm so tired of this. 
I once wrote a column that Ohio State's rival is now Clemson. When they were beating the crap out of Michigan every year and Clemson kept beating them and recruiting and into the championship. And I was like, their, their biggest issue right now is beating Clemson. And I think that the 2020 playoff game where they beat the crap out of them was cathartic, but I don't think you have any idea how hurt people are right now. And like trying to, you know, I know national championships are, are, are King. And certainly if, if they would have won last year, and beat Georgia and won the national championship, it would be like, yeah, we got it done, but like, that's how people would have felt, you know, like, and I just don't understand with the entire Ryan day discussion, how you can sit there in this rivalry and say, but they almost beat Georgia last year and think that that is like good enough for them. (sighs) Think bigger people. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Do you ever expect like Ryan Day's teams to like, Rise to the moment, though. Maybe. I don't think Ryan Day rises to the moment. Again, check my column on Monday. I think that Ryan Day coaches tight. I think he gets conservative. He forgets who he is. And that has a major impact on his team. Um, I knew that Ohio State was going to lose that football game the second they wound that that field goal down at halftime. I, I, I sounds maybe kind of stupid. But I was like, that is, you go into the locker room, that's what you're you're marinating with in the locker room. Your coach, not, you know, Marvin Harrison just catches a 45-yard pass. You've got the best collection of receivers in the entire country, and you don't even try. And if you actually go back and look at the Ohio State game, you know, Michigan's biggest pass play of the game came from a running back. Michigan's second biggest run came from a special package for the backup quarterback. <clears throat> Did Ohio State try to do anything? In that game, like, what did they try to do? When were they not Not on the ropes? They didn't even try. And it's like, I almost feel like going for it and failing to convert would have been better for the team than kicking a field goal that missed. Um, So I don't know. I I have a question, though, Ari. You would know the answer to this. So you want to tell me that if Ryan Day went eight and four, three straight years, but beat Michigan in all three of those years. No, would that wouldn't be good less, enough. He would face less consternation from the fan base than he does now where he's dominating everyone. Well, the thing that Michigan. you don't understand is, and yes, the college football playoffs expansion might change this a little bit, but Ohio State fans view the season with three goals. To beat Michigan, to win the Big Ten, and then win the national championship. And if you have a Michigan problem that stands directly in the way of doing any of those things, most years, it didn't last year because it worked out for them, but this year it's not going to work out for them. If you go eight and four and beat Michigan and you just have like bad teams, then you can fix those bad games and, and do that. If you can't beat Michigan, you can't achieve what you want to achieve every year. Like Michigan is almost the prereq to achieving those goals. And Ryan Day is 0-9 in those goals in the last three years. And the reason why is because he can't beat Michigan. Now, I know they made the playoff, but they didn't beat Michigan and they didn't win the Big Ten. Like, you were going on to four. Like, if you go into the Ohio State football building, there are lists of Big Ten. They care about the Big Ten championship because that signifies beating Michigan. Like, you can't judge a coach who has a Michigan problem and say, well, they are pretty close. 
while the Michigan problem still exists. Because if you have a Michigan problem, you have a program problem. And that's what I'm trying to does explain. Does the quality of Michigan just not matter, though? Of course it does. But three years in a row with what they have on that sideline. Listen, if you've listened to this podcast. Michigan's um, been a better team two out of those three years. If you've years, listened to this and podcast. And that doesn't have as much to do with Ohio State as it does about Michigan. Since the first saying. time Andy Staples brought me on. Mm-hmm. I have said Ohio State, from my perspective, is the most underachieving program in America when it comes to what they bring in and what they put out. Okay? That's a hard thing to say for a team that has won a lot of games as they have. But when you compare the recruits they bring in and the coaches that they've had and the players that they, I mean, you're watching CJ Stroud on Sundays and he went 0 2. They don't, there's something off. And I don't know what it is. And if you add the fact that their coach takes the ball out of Marvin Harrison's hands in a critical moment in the game and puts it onto a kicker. Who can't? Whose career long is forty-seven yards and a fifty-two-yard thing in the ice cold on the road, the year after a fifty-something-yard field goal lost them the game in the semifinal. There is a fundamental issue in the brain chemistry of that coach. And Ohio State had a lot of teams stacked with Orlando Pace and Eddie George and all of these teams in the nineties that lost to inferior opponents because their head coach turtled up in that game. And I know that Michigan's been good. I know that Michigan's been good, but you think that Ryan day is not going to turtle up next year when they play because they're not as good. Now Ohio state might win because they're better than them. If that happens, but you know how many times John Cooper lost to teams with three and four losses during that time period with Heisman trophy winners on his team and 19 but draft picks. But that's not what's happening happens to Ryan all Day. the time. Does, 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 does Jim Harbaugh, I mean, not but Jim, him does, becoming does timid Meyer, is happening to him. Are you watching the games? Meyer, it does. I, I don't disagree with you, but in some ways is urban Meyer's dominance over Michigan, not slightly lessened because Michigan was garbage for a lot of those years. Does no one care about this? Am I the only well, person? No, no. The, the reason why this? that is the case is winning is paramount, but also Urban Meyer's teams went on to do very big things after the fact. And I'm not saying that Ryan Day has to go seven and zero or nine and one like Jim Tressel did. You can't lose three in a row when you have a rookie quarterback in the NFL who's about to maybe win the rookie of the year and is in the MVP discussion. Like mm-hmm. you can't lose three in a row. You can go two and two if it turns into the ten year war because Michigan has Bo and Ohio State has Woody again. Then that's an understandable thing. Sometimes teams lose to good teams. I'm not saying they have to go eight. That's and two. what's happening to Ohio State right now. They're lo- they've lost three in a row for like the third time in the rivalry's history. Yeah, even, but what if two years from now he's two and three? I don't even understand yesterday. how it's not landing for you. I don't like. Are you listening to anything I'm saying? I get it, but Antonio, I'm, I get, go ahead. What were you? Ah. Even yesterday, I was watching the game. I was like, when Ohio State scored the first touchdown to make it 14-10, and then when they tied the game at 17-17, I was like, they have they could do more than Michigan. Like Michigan's gonna have to kind of control this clock. Maybe JJ McCarthy's yeah. gonna have to make some throws. I was like, they can do stuff more easily than Michigan can. They should win this game. And yeah, they win it. I know three years in a row. They had Marvin Harrison on last year's team too. Remember and. And a top five pick in the NFL draft, playing quarterback. Yeah. And listen, Ohio State has spent the entire offseason reconstructing its roster to be tougher and to stop the run and to be able to exist in these types of games, and it's still lost. And you're telling me it's like no big deal because they almost beat Georgia last year? You're insane. I didn't say it's you're no insane. big deal. I didn't say it's no big deal. My thought is I think that it is very reasonable to believe two things at once that Ryan Day 
coached not a great game on Saturday and that. No, he, he Ryan no, it Day- wasn't that he didn't coach a great game. He literally shrunk in the moment. Okay. At every turn. Okay. 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 I think that that happened. Which happens. we've seen before in the 90s. Okay. I think that that okay. happened. And I also think that Ryan Day can take Ohio State to be all the things that Ohio State wants him to be. I think those things can both be true. Yeah. I, I mean, if you think that my position is to fire him, that's not the case. I, I just know, want but, you to simply acknowledge. I'm acknowledging that it's bad. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying, like, people got to chill out a little bit. People don't like when I say that, but it's just true. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're a college football reporter, and you're telling the most heated rivalry in the sport when they lose to chill out. Like, do you see what's happening? Like, I, everyone okay. wants to blow everything up, Ari. You don't think that you don't think that that Ohio State should fire Ryan Day, but a lot of people do. And I'm just saying, be careful what you wish for. The last thing I'm going to say is that Ohio State is the only program in America that hasn't had prolonged periods of being down. No. I think they've had one losing season in the last like 40 years. I think a lot of that is because there has not been, there's not a lot of peers in the Big Ten, though, Ari. You look at Ohio State, it's them and Michigan, who has been down from time to time. And who else is challenging them? You look around the SEC, there's like nine programs that think they should be playing for national championships. You look in the Pac 12, UCLA is up sometimes, Oregon has come up. Like a lot of that is not because there's just some magic pixie dust that Ohio State has. Is that they have a ton of advantages in a league that does not have a lot of places that have elite aspirations. Those still it's like two also programs. exist. I know USC and Washington are coming. I know. But Ohio State is a power five program in a very talent rich state that is. I there know, alone. but you keep bringing up that they, they never have these down periods and that they that's don't. like. You're, know, you're trying to I'm say be careful that, what you wish for to people like they're going to start losing four games a year. It doesn't I'm happen. I'm not saying there. that, but the league is changing. The league is changing. And you say I've never had these down periods, and I'm saying that that's possible, and it's more possible than they think. Oh, so if they fire Ryan Day, just and I'm playing devil's advocate here. I don't think that they should fire Ryan Day, but devil's advocate. <laughs> you're telling me that you should be careful what you wish for if you're an Ohio State fan who wants Ryan Day fired because they might lose to Oregon like they did two years ago. No, <laughs> but that you might have a coach. What are you talking you about? might have a coach that it is not reasonable to believe can do all three of the things that you want to do, which is beat Michigan, win the Big Ten, and win the National Championship. I think it's very reasonable to believe that Ryan Day can do all of those things like literally next year. And, and I think it's wanna... very reasonably well to think that people are scared to shit that he can't. There's more than That's enough evidence the last three years. It's yeah. reasonable to be scared. But the, the the faction of people who are like, oh, this guy sucks. We got to go hire you know John Gruden or whatever. Like... Come on, guys. When you take the eleven million dollars a year that he's being paid, you understand what you're. You understand the grading rubric. I'm not saying it's. I'm not okay. saying he's passing. That's the grading rubric. I'm just saying it's reasonable okay. to look at what they've done the last two or three years and say you all the things that you want to do. This guy rubric. can do it. You cannot. I'm you not. Just can't. I'm not. Okay. Do we? We have another one. Dave doesn't get it. Everyone. He's still. We, we, we tried. <laughs> And if you think I'm an idiot, then that's fine, too. Antonio, thank you for bearing with us. I just Sorry for bringing some rationality to the conversation. That's this my bad. This is not a rational sport, Dave. Stop. But what's wrong with bringing a little rationality to it, Ari? You, you're, listen, I recognize that we cover a sport in which the postseason is chosen by 13 random people locking themselves in a room and choosing their four favorite teams. I get that that's what we're talking about. But, like, there's nothing wrong with bringing a little rationality to the conversation. I know you hate that, but I'm just people have got to chill. I'm just saying, I like, you, you should know that if you want to have a rational conversation about the Ohio State Michigan rivalry, 
doing it 24 or sorry, five hours after the biggest edition of it since 2006 and people being heartbroken, like on the podcast that were like catering to people, then like, you don't just say, Hey, uh, no big deal. They were close last year when they're like about to drive their cars off of a cliff. You know, it's just like, if he was going to listen, if Ryan day was losing to seven and five Michigan teams to eight and four Michigan teams, I would agree with you. He's losing playoff games to playoff caliber teams. I'm sorry if I don't think that's an Antonio. Remember the remember the Judge Antonio episode that we did? <laughs> yeah, where you had a, who, who who's getting the judgment here from from Antonio? I'm siding with you, Ari. <laughs> Woohoo! Because Ryan Day. Okay. Is, okay. He's Antonio's not, dead to me. He's not beating Michigan, but he's not winning national titles either. Like it's not. But he almost did. Literally <laughs> last year. He did. He failed for the same reason he failed yesterday. Oh my! Like, did gosh. he learn? Did you learn from that? Did that half time? Ask him. I guess you have to ask him, Antonio. You'd have to ask him. Did that end of half sequence suggest he learned from the Georgia <laughs> game last year? He coached scared yesterday. I'm sorry. It's true. That is that is a fact. If you are interested in what I have to say about the Ohio State rivalry game, there is a 1500 word column coming tomorrow about how I feel the way he coached that game. Um, I think Ryan Day is a very nice guy. He's always been very gracious to me. Um, he deserves what's happening here. When you get paid $11 million, he deserves the criticism, and he'd probably be the first person to tell you that. All now, right, that does the phrase, the does the phrase Ohio State fans need to chill out appear in that phrase, in that column? <laughs> you might actually think I need to chill out, because like, I laid it I out do. pretty You do need to chill thick. out a little bit. Yeah. You're, you're a more reasonable version of the Ohio State brain that – Buddy, I lived in Columbus for 10 years covering this team with these people. You don't think I, I know, know how that. they feel? I recognize how they My feel. My entire job is to take the feel pulse of what people feel bit. and write into it. That's what we do. Like, I understand this more than you do right now. And it's not because you're stupid. It's just because I've lived it. it. Okay. I understand it. And I'm seeing it. I'm understanding it. And I'm saying, y'all got to chill out a little bit. He's still really good. All right. Let's get to the last one. Hey, this is Cole from Houston, Texas fan, Texas grad. If Florida State wins out, I will urge all Texas fans not to complain about being left out of the playoff because the regular season matters, and we lost to Oklahoma when we shouldn't have, a team that we're better than. And if you go undefeated and win your conference in a major conference, you should be in. Do I think Texas is better than Florida State? Yes. I think they're better than Florida State with Jordan Travis. But they're definitely better than Florida State now. Texas is better than Oregon. Um, but we can't prove that. Secondarily, I think the Big 12 is the fourth best of the Power Five conferences, but maybe third. I think the Pac-12 midseason was great, but look at it now. There's two good teams. And the Big 12 is full of unbelievable scheming coaches, and it's a lot tougher than people think. That's all. Hook them. Bye. It's starting. Two good That's teams. That's the debate right there. Two good teams. Did they see? Well, Arizona? USC isn't one. Did they see Arizona play this year? Yeah, Arizona and Oregon. The Arizona State, Oregon game was awesome this year. Here. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're you're the key here, Antonio, because you cover the conference. It's a very good conference. It's a very deep and competitive conference. Mm-hmm. If Oregon wins, by the way, nine point favorite Oregon <laughs> playing nine Washington. points. I didn't see yep. that today. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot. Um. Dang, wins and beats Washington and Vegas next week. And Texas beats Oklahoma State, no problem. And we're both sitting here at 
Georgia's in, Michigan's in, and Florida State's in. And there's one spot for Texas and Oregon. Who do you go with, and why is that the worst question anybody could ever ask anyone? <laughs> I think we're going with Oregon just because they beat everybody on their schedule. Their lone loss was on the road. Like Texas was a neutral site. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it was at it was at Tuscaloosa. No, no, no. They lost to Oklahoma. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So Texas was at a neutral site. Uh, Oregon lost to Washington on the road by three and missed field goal. Then they would have beaten them again in the Pac-12 title game on a neutral site. Mm-hmm. So I think resume, it, I would go with Oregon. It's a compelling argument. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I would. Oh, God. You're, you're beating yourself here. Texas is closer to Group A than Oregon. I agree. Yeah, but Oregon's been the better team this year, Ari. Ari, can you look me straight in the face and say that Texas has been a better football team for 12 weeks than Oregon has been? I bet you the spread of that game would be less than a field goal if they played each other. Yeah, probably yeah, on a neutral field. I th- like I, it it is the worst in. case scenario for this playoff <clears throat> yeah. because you have two very deserving teams because you also yes. can make the case that, I mean, hell, it's one of the best wins in the country this year going on the road in Tuscaloosa and winning by it double is. digits. Really impressive. Um, and I and think only that, aged better by the day. I thought yeah. it might age not great, but it, it aged fantastic. It aged pretty well. So. Um, I think you can make a compelling argument for both, and I think whoever loses that argument has been given a disservice, and it makes me sick to my stomach, to be honest. Like, I like debating it. Um, I either hope that someone loses and this is cleaner, or uh, all the four teams in the playoff are undefeated. I don't want one of these teams to get screwed because of, you know, arguments as compelling as Antonio's was. It's just not right. So, yeah. It's a sad day. It's a bad day. Um, okay, Antonio, we've got, this was always going to go long. I'm sorry, but we have to talk a minute about your Lincoln Riley Q and a, um, you got to sit in his office and you asked him really pointed questions. And again, I urge everybody who listens to the show, if you're not subscribed to the athletic, um, and you even care 1% about Lincoln Riley and USC, this is a, a must read. Um, but what was your main takeaway from sitting down with him? And how did it impact your viewpoint of the direction of this program? I think he said what he needed to say in terms of owning the bad that happened. I think I'm so curious about what his actions are going to be and who he hires as a defensive coordinator and kind of what they do. I think he realizes they, it's, this is the time to look at changing how they practice and some of the stuff they do. Um, but, you know, I've, people have asked me about Lincoln Riley and the defense changing and uh, fans have or readers have. I'm just like, the, the words don't matter to me. It's the actions. And um, I, I want to see what they do, what they look like next year and stuff like that. But uh, for him to kind of own what he said, it, it was weird just because during the season, when we talked to him in scrums and press conferences, he'd be like, oh, the defense is fine, blah, 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 blah. Like, he's going really hard in defending the defense. Then you get him out of season for, like, three days after the season ends. He's like, obviously, we never found our footing defensively. It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> we were saying this to you at the end of the Colorado game when you guys get 41 points. Um, then he said the untrained eye, the trained eye comment that got everybody pissed off. But um, he's... Uh, I thought it was interesting and I'm glad he sat down and 
talked about kind of all how the season went wrong and everything like that and handling expectations and um, all that stuff and his future. Cause that's what I really wanted to ask him about was um, his comments after the Utah game where he said he's going to sign up to be here for a long time. Um, so I had to ask him about Caleb going to the NFL and if some team offered him, would he go coach him? And uh, he said, hell no. So it was pretty, a pretty uh, unequivocal denial um, that he'd go to the NFL. So I'm curious to see kind of where he goes from here. Cause I'm just curious. Uh, it was the most disappointing way for the season to go if you're a USC fan, but I think it was the most fascinating for to just watch and observe the program and see where Lincoln Riley goes. Cause this is a pivot point. Is he going to learn from it or is he going to kind of keep doing the same stuff he's been doing and keep coming short of what he wants to achieve? Have you talked to transfers or outgoing players that have been in other programs? Because <clears throat> I think most people who watch the sport but aren't like press their nose, press up against the people that cover the sport, we don't see a lot of practice yeah. in most places. I covered Tennessee for three years under Jeremy Pruitt. I saw one day of 11 on 11 snaps. And for two years, I didn't see a single 11 on 11 snap. They lock, most places lock people out. He mentioned that he feels like they tackle as much as anybody. And I think that's a big problem. Do you think that's true? I kind of wonder if it's like them tackling versus the scout team as opposed mm-hmm. to not good on good, not good on good. Like that's what I wonder if it is, if it's them just kind of beating up on the scout team, not going good on good. Like in one of the cinematic recaps, Oregon did, they were talking about like game planning for USC week. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're going to hit our guys on Thursday for games like this. And it's like, does USC do that? I'm not sure they do. Um, some like we've we've seen one practice, but it was in the spring, so um, it's it's hard to tell kind of what they do. But obviously, it's not working um, because we've seen yeah. how their defense plays on the field. It hasn't the worked for quite a while in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Antonio, what do you think, in your opinion, USC has to do? It starts on with the defensive coordinator. Um, getting that sorted out and getting a scheme and identity and all that stuff figured out. Um, they have a lot to evaluate on the recruiting trail because they're not getting enough elite guys, whether that's NIL or hiring better recruiters. I don't, I don't think the staff has as good a recruiters as Oregon does. Um, I know the fans will complain about NIL and they'll get mad at me when I tweet like Oregon's just more, in, more intense recruiting wise than you guys, than USC. I think it's just all NIL and that plays a part in it. But I think there's nobody besides like Lincoln and maybe Dante Williams that I'm like, okay, this guy's an elite recruiter. Um, so I think they have to get better there too. And um, I just think they need an identity. They lack one right now. It was just Caleb Williams, create magic and let everything sort itself out. But there's no identity to this program, no calling card, no, no North star that guides them to do what they do Um, and going into the big 10, that's something they need to establish. What'd you, what'd you think? Do I owe uh, Andy a thousand dollars? Definitely. Okay. (laughs) Have you seen this? You've seen the schedule for next year. I have seen the schedule. Yeah. By the way, we were talking about this the other day. Uh, Antonio, are people still in on Malachi Nelson? Are you going to portal a QB? I mean, that that can change things in a hurry. He he was injured. In, he was injured in the spring, and he tried to kind of gut through it. But he had like three turnovers in the spring game, 
So that was like the only glimpse everybody got of him. And then USC didn't separate enough in games to get any real glimpse of him during the season. Yeah. So I think people are kind of down on him for that spring game. And there's, there hasn't been a ton of buzz coming out of practice. And I feel like, and, and so with some kids like that, though, like if you hear about them just like tearing it up, you like it, it does would, come out. It would come out. Um, but we haven't heard much. Well, do you, um, who do you think is going to be their starting quarterback next year? Malachi Nelson or the field? The field transfer, probably. Yeah. That's what I, bet on. I suggested this, and Ari was like, I, that's what I kind of said. I was like, you could roll the dice with Malachi, but you're also USC. You're also Lincoln Riley. If you're a quarterback in the portal and you pick up your phone and Lincoln Riley's calling, you're taking that call, regardless I, I of all the other stuff. I don't, I don't see Lincoln Riley going into a situation with like Ohio State or Alabama at the beginning of the year where they didn't know what they had at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, USC I, quarterback Riley Leonard. Is he going to heard worse ideas? I don't know. His coach just left. He's yeah. really good. This is true. All right, guys, maybe you go, go read the whole Johnson. thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quinn Ewers, the USC <laughs> Joey Nichols said in the chat. That's funny. Um, what would you do? If Arch, the- what would you do if Arch transferred to USC? Ari? Um, Arch is Ohio State starting quarterback next year. Okay. Uh, Can I just say, yeah. by the way, Arch looked pretty good. I liked what I yeah, saw from Arch. He looked functional. It yeah. It was I, the fastest was, Manning of all time. Yes. It was. I When I've watched him, I haven't loved the arm strength. I think obviously the accuracy. We'll see about processing. You know, the athleticism was, uh, was pretty good. I liked what I saw. And the arm had more pop than I've seen on like his high school film. So, I, you know, we'll see. Yeah, there's hope. Yeah. All right. An hour and 17 minutes. Uh, there's a lot to cover there. I had a really good time with both of you guys. If you are interested or not in USC, I strongly suggest that you go read Antonio's Q&A. I think that that's probably one of the tentpole pieces that is going to you know, kind of hold the flag a little bit as we go into the offseason and watch USC try to find that identity. I'm going to Las Vegas this week to cover the Pac-12 championship game. And for multiple reasons, I'm upset that you're not going to be there, mostly because I'm going to have to pay Andy $1,000. <laughs> but also because I just genuinely enjoy your company and I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, for all you listeners here who have joined us live and have continued to do so every week, we certainly appreciate you. Um, if you are listening to this in podcast form and want to be engaged in the live uh, YouTube shows, uh, the show can be found in your podcast description and vice versa. If you're a YouTuber and you want to listen to us in your car or while you're working out, be sure to subscribe, listen to, interact, comment, review the show and podcast feed. So for Antonio Morales and David Oven, I'm Ari Wasserman. Thank you for listening to the latest edition of Unfixed Saturday. And bring back the turn of the channel.